good morning, Broadway Church. Well, let's try that again. Good morning, Broadway Church. God is good. All the time, right, and all the time? God is good. Yes, he is. Hallelujah. Through all the years and all the decades, he's always there for us. Uh, sometimes it doesn't seem like he's particularly close, and at other times it seems like he's really close. And so we are grateful, our Heavenly Father, for the way that you work in our hearts and in our lives and how you continue to do the many things that you do. My name is Peter Falk, and I was the associate pastor here from 1985 to 1995. Ten of the best years of my life. I loved coming to work every morning. I looked forward to each day. I didn't have to go to work. I got to go to work. And then something happened. Something so incredible, I had no idea. When my life turned, did a 90 degree, I would say a 90 degree turn. October the 29th, 1995, at 7.30 in the morning, while I was in the shower, my life washed down the drain. And as I knew my life, it was no longer so. I was supposed to lead the service that Sunday as Bob, the senior pastor, was gone. So I came to the church at around 7.30 and was in my office just down the road, down the hall here. And I couldn't stop crying. I phoned my wife and she came to the church here and she held my hand as I wept and wept and wept. I didn't know why, but I was crying. So I wrote everything out for that service, every word. And when I said amen at the end, I ran to my car, went home, got into my office, closed the door, closed the blinds, turned off the lights, lay on the floor and cried, not knowing why. I slipped into a very deep depression that hung on for years. At one point, <clears throat> I saw myself heading towards a very dark, dark cliff. And I tried to stop, and I couldn't. When I turned, it was there. When I tried backing up, it came forward. It was just there. And then I fell over. And I slipped into this darkness. And I said to myself as I was falling, this is death. And then, I felt something underneath me. And I landed on something soft. And this softness picked me up and I felt as if I was floating. And as I came out of this deep chasm and I looked at what was going on, I was on the pinions of a large eagle. <clears throat> and this large eagle <clears throat> set me on the ground, lowered his wings. And I walked down those wings and went underneath that eagle and he put his wings around me and said to me, Peter, I love you. I knew at that moment it was not a spiritual battle I was fighting, but it was a battle of the soul. And I then could say to God, thank you, because you're still here and you're still with me. <clears throat> it lasted much longer than I'd hoped. Do you know that I couldn't sit in church? I couldn't handle just 
the coughing and the rustling that you're doing right now. I couldn't listen to the music. I couldn't go to a restaurant. I couldn't sit with my own family around the table. But God is good. All the time, God is good. So we moved to Moose Jaw and eventually came back here. And while we were at Moose Jaw, as many of you know, our son took his life. Which I don't know if there's anything harder that a parent could ever go through. Took me a while to stop crying. But I did. And God is good. And all the time, God is good. Yes, there's a hole in our heart. There's a Scott hole in our heart. But that's okay. Because it won't be long and I'm going to see him. For the longest while, I prayed to God and I said, Lord, when I get to heaven, will you give me permission to kick, her, kick him around a few universes? A few universes. Yeah, and God said, no, you don't have to worry about that because you're not going to want to kick him anywhere. You're just going to want to love him, and you're going to love me, and we're going to enjoy eternity together. Moving back here, I thought I was done. Basically, I felt I was finished, and I would come here to retire. My very gracious nephew told me to come and work for him, so I became the gopher of Fraser Valley Specialty Poultry. In German, we call that a Scheckbangel. That is what I was. And then one day, my wife and I were watching a service during COVID, and we decided we would watch this one service, and this guy came onto the screen, and he was from Adult and Teen Challenge, and he talked about a need that they had, and that need was to lay down some concrete pavers. And I said to my wife, I can do that. I don't have to be around anybody. I can do that. So I went there, and I set foot on that property, and people, I was hit by the Holy Spirit. I do not know how to describe it, except I was hit by the Holy Spirit. I was asked to work there, to become a counselor and a pastor, and I argued with them, and I said no, and I argued with God, no, I'm done, I'm too old, I'm 71, leave me alone, Lord. But he wouldn't. So I said yes. But I said I can't go to chapel, because I can't stand the loud noise, I can't stand the rustling. I can't sit in your, in, in, in your meals because there's too many of you. There's 15 of you around this table. So I can't do that. And the director said to me, don't worry, Peter. God will look after you. So I decided that I would come to chapel 6.30 on a, Sunday, on a Tuesday evening. And uh, I thought, well, I'll just sit on the outside. So I was sitting there, and I thought, well, I can handle this. Why don't I go in a little further? So I came in a little further, and I came in a little further. And something happened to me that Tuesday evening. God healed me. I don't mean a little bit. I mean a lot. Do you know where I sit now in chapel? Right in front of that big old speaker they have, and these guys listen to their music ridiculously loud. <laughs> and I love it. And I can sit here in church, and I can love God and love you and enjoy it. Hallelujah, thank you, Lord. It hasn't been all that long. Hallelujah, thank you, Lord. Because I can do that. And I praise and I thank him for what he has done in my life. Hallelujah. 
He restored my soul. He led me in the green pastures. Hallelujah. Shortly after I got to the center, I had a vision. I didn't used to think those things were real. Changed my mind. I came to the center. There was nobody around. I got out of my vehicle. There was nobody around. So I went to the door, and it was locked. I reached into my pocket to take the key out. When I took my key out, I was attacked by a large group of angry, dark men who tried to take the key away from me. So I put it back, and they left. And this happened two or three times. Finally, one of those men said, hey, we found a way in through the other side. And so they left me. And I opened the door, and I went in. And I went into the main dining area, and there the men were all in their table, all sitting at the chairs around the tables. And these black men, each one by one of the men, saying, remember me? <clears throat> remember the good times we used to have? <clears throat> remember how you liked what we did? Just come on back. Come with me. Let's go. So I said to the group, those who are with me, stand to your feet. Eight of the men stood. That's all. The others left with those men. In the three years that I have been at the center, I have witnessed and been a part of the death of five, five men. All of them tragic. For our wrestle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of this darkness. I have seen a man come out of federal prison full of so much hate and so much anger and full of so much violence that when he said yes to the Lord, he wept and his life was transformed as fast as you could see like that, completely transformed. He said yes. And I have seen that yes over and over again. And I have seen the miracles of God in these men's hearts. I have seen courts change their mind about serious offenses. I have stood in court where a man was supposed to be sentenced to an extended time in jail. And as I prayed and as our center prayed for that man, the judge looked at me and said, I'm going to turn him loose to you. Okay. So there he is with an ankle bracelet on. He's supposed to be in jail. We just got another one with another ankle bracelet this last week. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness in this world. That is our struggle. And that is what Gary has been talking about. Our staff here at Broadway faces challenges that we don't face because of what they go through, because of their roles. And so, we uplift them in prayer because prayer changes everything. I'm sorry, I'm preaching. Stop. Here's what I want to say. I am privileged every morning to go and sit and visit with up to 15 to 16 men who did not know Jesus, but have come to know him, who have walked in darkness, struggling with addictions of all sorts, 
got to laugh with him, cry with him. Earlier this year, one of the men that was walking in such victory with the Lord was overcome with his desire to go back and use. Five days later, he was dead. I did the funeral service for that dear brother of mine that I loved so much, who had a bright future and a child and lost it all. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers and the darkness of this world. And I encourage each one of us to continually pray because that's what makes a difference. So let's do that now. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for more things than we should really even remember, but we are so grateful. And Lord, we thank you for this country we live in and for the freedom that we have, the freedom that we can come here and that we can worship, for how you bring healing to our hearts so that we can sit here and love it and enjoy it, how we can sit here hurt and damaged, and yet you reach into our hearts exactly to where we are right at this moment, and you say, come to me, and I will give you peace, because my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Father, we lift up those that are hurting. Whether they are hurting physically, we bring them to you and we say, Oh, dear Lord, touch their hearts and touch their bodies and bring healing to them. And Father, the discouragement that may we they may well feel because things just keep on going in their life and they think, Well, this is no good. I, that's why I said, I'm, I'm just going to sit here or lay here until I die. And Father, as long as we draw breath, we are your children. And I pray, Father, that each one of these people, whether they are in bed, in a chair, at home resting, or wherever, Father, I pray that as they draw breath, they are able to say, you are good all the time. You are good. I pray for our staff. And we thank you for them, Lord. What a great bunch of people they are. You called them here, not us. We didn't call them. You did. And so it becomes our responsibility to support them and encourage them and hold them up. And so that is what we do here this morning and hopefully every day. We lift them up and we say, dear Jesus, protect them. Put a shroud of protection around them so that they are kept clean and free of the evil one who wishes to destroy their lives and destroy this church through them. Thank you for Gary and how you bless him with your word. And so now as we sit back to listen, we don't just want to sit back, but we want to be engaged in our spirit with our ears to hear, Lord, what you have told Gary, what he should say. May your spirit empower him as he stands up here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a classic book written a few years ago called... Uh dark night of the soul and even when we come into the light even when Jesus is our light we have those moments Peter shared and so today I want us to continue with this idea that we need to continually come out of darkness it's all around us the world is dark a couple things to say before we move into the sermon series I love it that I heard praise coming from over here after a song, 
That's awesome. The rocks will cry out. So it's, thank you for the freedom you felt to praise the Lord after a song. Our young adults are away, so we have Wilf and Lorena taking up their spot <laughs> this morning, which is fantastic. Thank you very much. They're at a retreat up at Sasquatch uh, Resort, a ski park up there. A couple things to say. We ha- are going to have a baptism service December 11th. So if you are interested, come talk to me. We are going to have a baptism uh, class next Sunday after church. Don't worry, the Grey Cup's at three. Um, But really today is the Grey Cup because the West always wins the Grey Cup. So whoever wins the West always beats the East. And so it will, whoever wins today between Winnipeg and BC will probably win the Grey Cup, just saying. So... After church next week, we'll talk about baptism, what that means, and then December 4th, we have room for some uh, child dedications as well. So I've emailed a few families. I've maybe missed out on some. If you want to have your child dedicated, please email the office or talk to me after the service here. So again, you can go to your phones or your Bibles. We're looking at a few verses today. Last week, we talked about Jesus as the light of the world because the world needs light. The world is in darkness. We use an interesting word when we shared communion called lakamel. It's a First Nations word out uh, in DeRoche from a band there, and it means an equal place to meet. And so when we took communion, we looked at each other and go, we're all equal before Jesus. We are all on the same level ground. But I want to use that word a little bit for this sermon, that every one of us has come from the same meeting place. Darkness. Every one of us. When we're born, we are born into darkness in our soul. And so we all come from the same level place of darkness. And this is what Jesus, I'll use the word hated, maybe I shouldn't, but this is what Jesus hated about the Pharisees and the religious leaders. They did not think that they were the same as everyone else. They were not of darkness. And Jesus said, you're blind guides. So, la camel, we're all equal. We all come out of darkness. We all have to come out of darkness. We all have to be born again to be alive in Christ. We had some tools stolen about a month ago. We had a sea can back there, and George had about $10,000 worth of tools in that seat can, and my son Bennett had about $3,000 worth of tools in that seat can. Donations came from the church to pay for these. It was fantastic. We had a prayer time, and I'd, I said, we need to sit, cite the Lord's Prayer before we can move on to our work beat, because we were all a little discombobulated. So here's the prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. So far, so good. Here's the clincher line, people. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who steal from us. As we forgive those who trespass against us. That prayer never came more alive in my soul than that morning because we'd literally been trespassed against. 
Easy to be mad, easy to get mad at the wholeness culture if that's where it came from, easy to get mad at the drug culture and all that. Easy, easy, easy to get mad at darkness. Easiest thing for us to do is to get mad at the darkness. But when we read that prayer and said that prayer, it's like, oh, Father, we're all level ground. That's what God says. You need to forgive as I've forgiven you. So forgive us our debts. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our sins as we. Because we all come out of the same place, out of darkness. No one is closer to the cross or higher up or on the same level. There's no distinction of humans, male, female, Jew, non-Jew. And this is, again, the difficulty Jesus had with the religious leaders. They didn't believe they were coming out of darkness. They didn't believe they were sick. They didn't believe they needed a doctor. They saw themselves as above everyone else. And Jesus said, you got planks in your own eye. And you're worried about the speck in someone else's eye. So come out of the darkness. Last week we talked about Jesus being the light of the world. And he, he said this during the Festival of Tabernacles where there was a massive light show in the temple and it lit up the whole city. And he says, I'm that light for you, not just once a year at the ceremony, but for every day of your life in your soul. I really believe we have to have the words of Scripture in our hearts and our minds. Memorize it, the Bible says. Because the world, its darkness, is, is nailing us all the time with its philosophies and its words and its sayings. Whatever stays, whatever happens in Vegas, stays in Vegas. That's a, that's a line of the world. So I want to give you some here. I think they're listed. John 12, 44 to 46. Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but the one who sent me. So you believe in Jesus, you believe in the Father who sent me, sent him. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. We look at Jesus, we see God, the Father. I've come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. So we are in darkness until when? We believe in Jesus. Luke twenty-two fifty-three. 53. He says to the Pharisees, Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. The ultimate three hours of darkness when Jesus was crucified. Ephesians 5.8, Paul is telling us, you, all of us, la camel, level ground, same thing for everything, you were all once darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord, live as children of the light. Colossians 1.13, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. 1 Peter 2.9, you people, these are the words that burn in your soul, you are a chosen people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, always. Even if you're having what Peter shared, a dark night, a dark week, a dark year of the soul, you are God's holy nation, his prized possession, declaring the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And 1 John 1, 5, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. So that's the message we have for the world. It's not anger and judgment and condemnation. It's light. It's a message of light for our world. I want to go back to the first verse in the series. Way back in September, Luke eight fourteen. 
Jesus is talking about different heart conditions of how the word of God grows in you. The seed that fell among weeds or thorns stands for those who hear the word of God. But as they go on their way in life, they're choked. The word of God is choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. That's the next verse we're going to get into for the sermon, sermon today. That's what happens. Weeds come at us. Obscuring the gate and the right path to take. It's not always necessarily poisonous and lethal, but the accumulation of the darkness coming at you can destroy our soul. And that's why Jesus said, be on your guard. We need kill X for our soul. We need Roundup. Jesus says the answer is me. And it's his light which will banish darkness. He is the roundup for your soul. So Jesus said in John 17, my prayer, he's praying to the Father who sent him. I'm not praying that you take them out of this world, out of this darkness, but that you will protect them in this darkness. You, disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, are not of the world. But Father, you sent me into the world, and I'm sending them into the world, into the darkness. That's what Jesus does with his church. He sends them into the darkness. He doesn't say, run away from it. You go in there. You shine your light. You don't put a bushel on your life. You go. You make disciples. You shine your light. So here's the key verses for today. 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Again, go to your Bible or your phone for that. I'm going to have it up there for a few moments. Might be familiar to some of you, but it's a fantastic verse in regards to what it means that the world is an enemy to us, to our soul. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the desires of the sinful nature, or the lust of the flesh, your translation might say, the desires of the sinful world, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life come not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires will pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Despite the semi-hostile relationship between Jesus and the world, Jesus' intent was never for us to abdicate our responsibilities in the world. The whole idea of not loving the world or anything in the world is 100% contingent on actually being in the world. <laughs> we have to be here. We are here. Living in the darkness of the world and bringing light to its darkness. The world here doesn't mean people. We'll get into that. Last week it meant people. We need to love people. So it doesn't mean individual, as in John 3.16 would say, for God so loved the world. It's not the same use of the word here. Here it's the system. We'll get into it. And here's a definition. The world. And you come across this every day of your life, even as you drive down. Vetter Road, Yale Road, there's billboards, there's signs, 
There's advertising in TV, on TV shows. The world is a bombardment of this, a complex web of values, decisions, and directions in life, chosen without consideration for knowing and doing the will of God. Either people trust in themselves or they derive their values, assurances, and life from God. It is exactly this attitude of self-sufficiency, seeing things in our own light and not by the light of God that Jesus terms the world. That's a good definition. Here's one from Eugene Peterson. The world is more than just a system. It is an atmosphere, a mood, an airborne emotional pollutant we inhale every day, <laughs> an anti-God impulse we circulate in our body's lungs. It's the society of proud and arrogant humankind that defies and tries to eliminate God's rule and presence in history. Isn't that a good definition? I think you could discuss that for an hour in your care group, just that definition. Here's John Mark Comer, who's the author of the book I've been using as a reference called Live uh, No Lies. The world, a system of ideas, values, morals, practices, and social norms that are integrated into the mainstream and eventually institutionalized in a culture corrupted by the twin sins of rebellion against God and a redefinition of good and evil. Calling good evil and evil good. That's our society, people. Comer goes further with this. The herd mentality is literally woven into our brains. Buffalo all walk on the same side of a field. Teenagers will all wear the same sneakers. I don't know how true that is. We're created by a relational God to live in community, but under the fall, we devolve back into pack animals. This is often how the devil's deceptive ideas keep such a stronghold on societies for so long. I want it, and everyone's doing it has an overwhelming power all by themselves. Put together, they're almost irresistible. If you make it trend, it's true. The widespread social acceptance of an idea or behavior does not make it true, much less cause it to lead to flourishing, but that's where our world is at. If history teaches us anything, it's that the majority is often wrong. Crowds lie. I've read a great book called The Madness of Crowds that's going into the whole LGBTQ scenario that's engulfing us. An amazing book, The Madness of Crowds. Who should I release to you? Barabbas, a murderer? Or Jesus, who's done nothing wrong? What did the crowd say? Barabbas. <laughs> That's the madness of a crowd, people. I want to give you Eugene Peterson's translation of 1 John chapter 2, 15 to 17. Interesting. Don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out the love of the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from him. The world and all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out. Whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. Protect them 
protect us while we are in the world. We are bombarded, bombarded to live like darkness. And this text begins with the command, do not love the world or the things of the world. Everything else after is, a, is a, an incentive on why you should not. When John writes, do not love the world, in essence, he's calling us to make a choice for God's way of doing things and not for the world's way. Loving the world does not mean accepting it as it is, but remaking it into what it was created by God to be. People living in the realm of life and light. What May your kingdom come, may what is be done on earth what is in heaven. That's what we're to be a part of. So there's three things here. Number one is the cravings of sinful humanity or the lusts of the flesh. The word cravings is the same word translated as lust in the next phrase. It can be neutral in its connotations to have desires. To have a desire to eat or sleep is not sinful. So it can be neutral. It's simply a longing or desire. Flesh, though, as we learned a couple weeks ago, means the sinful nature in us. It's the part that has to be reborn through the power of the Spirit. So we have the cravings of the sinful nature, and they're listed in various places. We went through it a couple weeks ago in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the flesh. Our cravings of the sinful nature. Clearly, he has in mind here sexual temptation, sexual sin, the epitome of love deformed, where an image bear we were made to give sacrificial love to becomes an object of desire we take pleasure from, even if it's consensual. It's more than just sexual desire, though. It's any desire that, go, that is going wrong. For food, drink, instant gratification, control, domination over others, down the list, that would be the cravings of sinful humanity. Number two, what does it mean, the lust of the eyes? Or it's another translation would say, desires that come from what the eyes see. Greed is in John's crosshairs here. Also envy, jealousy, discontentment. These desires do not come from the insight that God gives, but are shaped by the world in its ignorance of God. So it's greed, materialism, envy. It can be fashion. It can be travel, vacations over the top, you can start listing the things that just become too much. We think that's got to have everything, got to go everywhere. This is what we have to have. That's the lust of the eyes. Number three, boasting of what they have and do, or some translations say the pride of life. The human bent in all of us is to go our own way, to rebel against authority and think we know better than everyone else, we're the smarter generation. Who are you to tell me something that's so old? That's the anthem of today. So this boasting of what they have and do or the pride of life means pride in what you possess, the things you have. The first two, lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes, refer to desires for things we don't have. And this third one is being proudful of what we do have where our desires have been filled. The world is driven by these two things, passion for pleasure and pride in possessions. And the passion for pleasure is described in two ways here because there are two large classes of pleasure, physical and aesthetic. 
That's what he's getting at. There's bodily pleasures, and then there's the intellectual or aesthetic pleasures. There's nothing wrong with renovating your house and showing it off. <laughs> but where, where, where is that renovation? Where is that brand new kitchen in line with who you are? Is it your everything? That's what John's getting at here. John ends his book with this, Little Children, Keep Yourselves from Idols, whether they're crude or cultured. And all those things of the world that we want to chase after, think will satisfy us, will bring more light to our soul, those are idols. And then verse 17, it says, the world and its desires will pass away. Those who put their trust in earthly possessions commit their energies and selves to a sphere whose end has already been assured. Nobody buys stock in a company that they know will go bankrupt. Nobody sets up a house on a collapsing mountainside on the east side. On purpose. <laughs> they trusted the geotechnicians. I don't know if you knew that there's a whole subdivision on the mountainside over there that has to be abandoned because the mountain's shifting. You don't set that up. It's silly. No reasonable person then should also lay up treasure where moth and rust destroy and thieves breaking and steal. The world is passing away, John is saying. The world is passing away. And that's not all. Not only is the world passing away, but also the desires of it. If you share the desires of the world, it's passing away. You'll not only lose your treasures, you'll lose your life, John is saying. You know, I, I want to travel to every wonderful city in the entire world. I just would love to. And if I had a billion dollars, I might. I don't know. But this is my prayer to God. <laughs> Lord, you know I want to go here. I want to go here. I want to go here, 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 all over the world. And my prayer is, God, maybe when I get to heaven, you can just tour me then. <laughs> and that, that'll be good enough, folks. It will be. Or it won't matter, because you're in the presence of Jesus. Who cares about being in Paris at a certain time of year? Right? Like, just, it passes away. The very essence of our nature is desire. Nobody in this room does not have desires right now for something, a longing, a craving, a want, a need. And John is telling us, be careful what you're wanting and what you're desiring. There would be no temptations if we had no longings. And if we had no longings, we would be dead. So do you have temptations? Be glad it's proof that you're alive. So Jesus says, come under my light. He says, darkness will run. And you'll be under the power of being directed by the Holy Spirit and not need to give in to the darkness. But you can have the light of life. We are endlessly in need of air. If you try to satisfy your longings by breathing in the air of the world, you will not be able to breathe the air of heaven. That's the parallel. And eventually your motor will burn up because of all the contaminants in it. Because you were made to breathe the air of God and not the air of the world. There's a great little hymn called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. I want to sing the chorus 
for you. Join with me. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's powerful. You want things to, of the world to grow dim? You want the darkness to move away? This is where you, do, this is where you go. You turn your eyes on Jesus. You love the things of the Lord. I'll ask the band to come on up. And I want to finish with this. Luke 1, 46 to 49, Mary's in her pregnancy. She's greatly troubled, it says. She's afraid. She's having a dark night of the soul. <laughs> you're going to be, you're going to have a son. You're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. His kingdom will never end. She says, how can this be? I'm a virgin. He says, a, a miracle conception. And so once Mary deals with all this stuff, says this, my soul, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of my humble state, the ground that I'm on. From now on, all generations are going to call me blessed because she was obedient. For the mighty one has done great things for me. God is good. God is great all the time. Holy is his name. Amen.